0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.
1: I am alive in my village. How many of you remember that message? I am alive in my village. And I remember what I was sharing is is that what the enemy seeks to do is draw you out of your village, draw you out of your place of influence, draw you out of your community, and then while you're out, he's going to attack your place of influence. So that when you turn around and see the smoke, you've got nowhere to go. Remember, that's the story of uh, Joshua attacking the city of Ai and also how the Israelites uh, had to defeat their own Benjamin tribe is by drawing them out of the village pretending that they were injured so that's what the enemy does he's like oh you got me you got me and and he draws you out of the village by using conspiracy theories and WhatsApp messages And all sorts of things that you shouldn't be thinking about or even worrying about. And just when you think you're winning the war and just when you think you're defeating the evil in this WhatsApp message, your village is being attacked in the background. And I realized as I was sharing on this that what God is calling us into, the parallel Theme of not being distracted is the theme of salvation. God wants to save each and every single person. And by salvation, he doesn't just mean rescued from danger. He means enriched fully with the presence of God and everything that the kingdom of God has to offer. If you don't experience the kingdom of God spiritually and physically, you have not been fully saved. I thought everyone's going to go, yes. All right, I will not be silent. Okay. Salvation is experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God in every single way. Health for your body Resources to do what God has called. God wouldn't call you to do something and then not give you the resources to do it. That doesn't make sense. So, chances are we're denying Him the right to give us what we need. We're walking away from the blessings that God has for us. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 says the following you can turn in your Bibles 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11 to 12 says make it your ambition and your endeavor to live quietly and peacefully isn't that a good ambition hasn't the world got used to the opposite meaning of ambition ambition means to be more busy To take on more difficult things. To be more stressed and stretched. And here the Bible says, make it your ambition to live quietly and peacefully. And then he says, then he gives you the answer because now you're going, but how? You can buy a book called the four hour work week. Or you can choose to just not worry about other people's issues and problems and WhatsApp messages and conspiracy theories. Someone say amen. Okay. In Jeremiah, how many of you know conspiracy theories are nothing new? Jeremiah the prophet said, don't call that conspiracy what everyone calls conspiracy. In other words, there was truth and to pull people up out of their place of peace, to pull people up out of their place of quietness, lies are told. Fake information is sent out. It was so in the day of Jeremiah. It is so in the day of Daniel McGeer. Don't call conspiracy what everyone calls Conspiracy Meaning, turn it off. So, make it your ambition to live peacefully and quietly, to mind your own affairs. It's a nice way of saying, mind your own business. It's the Christian way of saying, mind your own business. And to work with your hands as we charged you. Wow. So work is peace and quiet. Do you agree with me? How many of you are in a place where your work equals peace and quiet? Okay. Me. Bernadine. Anyone else? Put your hand up high. Hold it there. Your work is peace and quiet. Emil. I see that hand. Thank you. How many of you, work is not peace and quiet? Put up your hand. Nice and high. Hold it there. All right. We're going to have an altar call afterwards. You need salvation. (laughs) Someone say amen. All right. But here's the big thing. So that you may bear yourselves becomingly and be correct and honorable. That's nice to be correct. And honorable... And command the respect of the outside world. Church. We're not supposed to be disrespected by the outside world. The church in its peace and quietness will command the respect of the outside world. In fact the Bible says a pastor, a leader should have the respect of those in the church and outside of the church. So anyone who stands in faith and demonstrates the goodness of God will by default gain the respect of those inside and outside of the church. And then it says, being dependent on nobody and having need of nothing. And I want to say today, a lot of the stress And the anxiety that we have is because we think someone else is going to answer our needs. Come on, I pray today that you will receive a helper and a friend. But you're not going to receive a helper and a friend if you're hoping that they're going to give you the needs that you're supposed to meet in the presence of God. Stress and anxiety comes from hoping that your needs are going to be met by someone other than the Holy Spirit. And so you live anxious, wondering. I I mean, just in the mentality of our workforce, we think that we need to go to school, get a degree. Now, I'm not saying kids don't get a degree. But you get taught that you're going to need someone to give you a job, else you're not going to make it in life. And God says, I've got a plan and a purpose for you. Your degree is your tool. It is something that you have in your toolbox, but it doesn't make who you are. Don't wait for someone else to satisfy your needs. You have everything with you, you have everything you need, especially when you tap into the presence of God and you tap into the wisdom and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you will have peace. You will have comfort and you will have quietness. Thank you. I say uh, I was just I was just letting it hang there. Someone's in the spirit, and it's that guy. <laughs> David says in Psalm seventeen Psalm seventeen. Verse 3, you have proved my heart. God, you have proved my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and you find nothing. In other words, no evil purpose. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Someone say with me, I am perfect. Okay, say it with conviction. There we go. I heard a a convicted, I am perfect. Alright, now that's biblical. In James it says, he who can control his tongue is the perfect man. You wake up in the morning, you say, I am going to control my tongue today. I am going to be perfect. You look yourself in the mirror and you say, I am perfect. Not because of what you look like, but because of what you have chosen and destined to say today. What are you going to say? What are you going to speak How many of you know and realize that every word that comes out of your mouth is a prophetic word? It drives your destiny. It drives your future. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Not just God's tongue or Jesus' tongue, but your tongue. And so we wake up in the morning and we have a choice. And that choice is what you are going to say next. And what you say reflects what you believe. But what you say also determines what you believe. Jesus said as well, McDonald's has no power to defile your body. It goes in and it comes out. Jesus' words. But what comes out of the heart will defile you. If what comes does not come from the presence of God, from the Spirit of God, from the Holy Spirit. So the world is too worried about what they're letting in and they're doing nothing about what they're letting out. Okay, just think about our offering message. Those who are generous and give without sparing have something to give. And they have something to give physically because spiritually they have everything to give. And what flows out of their mouth is the generous presence of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the feet of those who bring bad news. No, good news. Good things that flow out of their mouths. I'm going to repeat this until everyone is on board. Don't be that guy at the bribe. When someone has a bad story, you're thinking about how your story is better, worse, sir. It's this funny thing we do. Here, i my arm. I've my for And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And eventually it's this awkward quietness and someone turns the meat. Don't be that guy at the bra. What, what can you make for the Ladies. Something at the salad bar or something. Or <laughs> Change the subject. Change the feeling. Change the sound. Because what you say at the bra has power to change your life. Has power to change the life of those around you. Say... Hey, you know what? I'm just going to change the subject right there. And you'll see how everyone goes, yo, 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 good idea. Have you, have, you, have you experienced that? Everyone suddenly realized they're standing in cow. Finish the sentence. Thank you. I will not be silent. I will finish Daniel's sentences. Ephesians 4. I'm just reading scripture. Is that good? Alright, so Ephesians 1 verse 17. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches. Do I have to say riches again? Someone say riches. Okay. Of the Spirit of wisdom. And of the Spirit of revelation. So those are two separate things. God reveals his nature. He does it sometimes without word. It's a feeling. It's a oh, wow, I understand. Ah uh, aha. <laughs> hey, yo. And then I come to church with a revelation, and there's not words in English to explain what I'm feeling. How many of you have had that experience? Okay, that's revelation. Wisdom. What is wisdom? What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? All right, knowledge is what you learn through experience. Wisdom is having the revelation and applying it from a God source, not from a experience-based source, right? Wisdom is a deeper understanding. So you can go to Whatever school you want to and get all the knowledge you like, but wisdom is going to show you how to apply the knowledge. It's God's presence at work in our lives. Okay, And now it says to know him through deepening intimacy. So wisdom and knowledge come from intimacy. So God's called us to quietness and peace. You can only get quietness and peace if you come into intimacy with God. And wisdom and revelation come from intimacy. And it goes on to talk about, may the eyes of your heart be flooded with light. And it was we used it in the media talk yesterday, and I'll never forget the message that I heard where, the pastor was explaining how this just resembles a camera to him. How when a camera takes a photo, the shutter opens and closes and light floods the camera. And what is behind, whether it's film or whether it's a sensor, it gets flooded with light and an imprint of the real gets imprinted inside. And so if you're, if you're, If your eyes are set on Jesus and he floods you with hope in intimacy, then you get imprinted with his nature. It's such a powerful picture. And your imagination, what you think, gets flooded with wisdom and revelation. May the eyes of your heart be flooded with light. Now, intimacy really is your imagination flooded with the presence of God, flooded with knowing Him, flooded with His nature. It's, it's your nature in one with His. Intimacy is friendship, intimacy is confidence. Intimacy is promise. Intimacy is affection. Those are, just can I say that again? Intimacy is friendship, companionship. Intimacy is confidence built on trust. Intimacy is promise. Intimacy is affection. Now here comes the distraction. Can I share on the distraction? See, we've been focused on COVID, that's a distraction. We've been focused on conspiracy theories, that's a distraction. And while the world is distracted, our people, our homes are being flooded by other distractions. The God has been let down. And this morning I want to say this, that the greatest thief of intimacy in your life is sexual sin. Hello? You didn't expect that one coming. Huh? You didn't. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 to 5. For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated and set apart for pure and holy living. Intimate living with God. That you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice. Now, sexual vice is the opposite of intimacy. See, each and every one of us was created with a desire to be loved, with a desire to have our hearts filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is a perversion in the world that says your heart, your mind, your soul can be filled by something else other than God and His Spirit. Sexual vice is basically any sex outside of marriage. And any form of sexual activity outside of marriage, that is sexual vice. But it's not just that. It goes bored, it goes deep. Can I go there? Is there anyone in the room who doesn't know how they were made? Anyone? Alright, so we can go. Hello? All right. Sex outside of marriage is the opposite of intimacy. In fact, it is an act of hate. Yo. Wow. What? Yo, Pastor, this war. (laughs) Let me just say this I have a vision of every person living in sexual health, in spiritual health, and emotional health. Every person who is destined to be married living beautifully, wonderfully, as a perfectly married person. With their helper and their friend destined to live in the calling that God has on their life. God's heart is not for marriages to be broken. It's not okay for marriages to be broken. We deal with it. But that was never God's plan. God's plan was for marriages to be formed that would become the pillars of society. He's so so passionate about marriage that he called the church his bride. So that the church's relationship with Jesus would form the basis for the relationship of man and woman. Intimate. Intimate relationship with God. We're, so I'm coming from the point that I want every marriage to be saved. I want every single person to realize their God-given destiny and to have peace and quietness and quiet confidence knowing that God only has the best for you. But your marriage will be structured and formed by what you have to give. And not worried about needing something that you can't get from someone else. See, all these scriptures that I was reading were setting you up, setting us up for the understanding that you can't get anything. You have, there's nothing you can get from anyone else that will fulfill your needs other than the Holy Spirit. And I discovered that when I got married, we spent so much time fighting and so much time arguing because we focused on what we needed from each other instead of focusing on what we had to give to each other. A healthy marriage is grounded on what I have to give. And it's when I'm confident in what I have to give that you are ready for marriage. And it's only in your marriage when you're confident of what you have to give that you are ready for sex. Hello? I thought that would be the loudest amen. Is it tense in the in the room? Sexual vice is an act of hate for the following reasons. It is always done in secret. Anything that is done in secret is an act of hate. Oh, wow. That, I'm talking about self-hate first. Because you're denying your God-given call and you're denying your God-given destiny. To be a part of something that is beautiful, that is God-made. When we do things, anything in secret, we're denying God's calling on our lives. We're saying, God, that's not your destiny for me. I choose something else. Anything that is done in secret. It's an act of hate because it's done in shame. It's an act of hate because most often it's done in control. And most often it's also done in coercion. Now, what it also does is it intimidates. So you are talking about sexual vice. Sexual sin makes you timid. It takes away your God-given destiny. Amen? It also is done in coercion. Coercion means to be restrained together. In other words, it ties you into a bondage that you should not choose for your life. The only good sex is sex that comes from intimacy in marriage. Can I say that again? Hello? The only good sex, bad sex, good sex, good sex, comes from intimacy in marriage. Here's my point that I remembered. Some people get married, especially young people when they get married, and they think, now I have my license. Die pastoor gesê ons kan. And they haven't learned to have self-control yet. They haven't learned that what they have is something to give and not something to need. Hello? And so you can get married and still lust after sex, even with your wife. Oh, what? Yes. Because you haven't learned to give from the fullness of what you have. That's what it is. The only good sex is sex that comes from intimacy and marriage. And not only that, the only good sex is the kind of sex where you can invite the Holy Spirit to be with you and present in that moment. We're doing love after marriage. And they've been teaching us that before you have sex as husband and wife, ask the Holy Spirit to join you. What? Have you heard that before? Anyone in the room heard that before? That's a good test of whether your sex is good or bad. Holy Spirit, will you be here with us? Will you be present with us right now? Will your spirit and revelation, your spirit of wisdom and revelation fill this room? I really thought you guys were going to be like, I will not be silent." You know, before this sermon, I had to decide. I had to decide: am I going to be silent, or are we going to speak about what isn't spoken about? And because it's not spoken about, children are growing up distracted, with the poor idea of what their physical body is meant to do, with the poor understanding of what sex is. Because we're silent. We're quiet. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. On a Sunday. Don't phone us. I'm just kidding. It's really kidding. We watch Formula One on Sunday afternoons. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Albert. Here we go. Bernadine and I often give a lekker whip monsoon in front of our kids. Kom, laat ons Our kids know what it looks like to be in love with each other. Our kids know what it looks like. Although they're not teenagers yet, and although we haven't, you know, our kids don't know the birds and the bees yet. Some of them don't. Some of them do. Most of them don't. We were watching Blue Planet and these two fish came and and then, you know, mommy and daddy met and then there were babies. And I just forgot that, you know, there's a reason why mommy and daddy have to come together. And Ethan's like, why does it have to be a man and a woman? I'm like, ooh, um, okay, one day. But you see, that silence that we have with our young children carries over into our teen years. And teenagers are growing up without real examples, without real pictures of what good sex looks like. Not that they must know what sex looks like. But they're seeing it at school. They're seeing it on the screens of their tablets and their phones. And they have to recognize and understand that that is not good sex. And that is not what good sex looks like. Because the only good sex that exists is the sex between man and woman. Married. Who can invite the Holy Spirit into the bedroom. Because where they are has been ordained and blessed by God. And what they have to give is a gift of generosity. Sex was made so that you can honor and bless each other. When you have good sex, there is nothing to hide. When you have good sex, there often is fruit. I said to Bernadine, we've got four kids. Now people know we've had it at least four times. <laughs> the reason I say that is because When you have sex, there is a fruit that is produced, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically, speaking about children. See, sex is only good when it is done in a place of promise. That promise is marriage. But that promise isn't just the paper it's signed on. That promise is a promise of inheritance, that promise is a promise that says this is a safe and fruitful place. And so the outcome of sex is good when the fruit that is birthed out of it has a place to grow. Has a place where it can be protected. Has a place where the fruit can be comforted. To have sex outside of marriage is choosing to abort God's promises for your life. Now I remember my point that I forgot back there. Now I remember. See, when we give in to our lusts, when we allow our body to take over, when we give in to the hormones It's never something that is out of your control. It's never something that just happens and you can't stop it. It's always a choice. And it's always a choice between what God wants for you and what he doesn't want for you. And so when you choose to give in to the drive without restraint, when you choose to give in without control, it is a choice. Now that might sound hard, but it's something in my mind that gave me a lot of freedom, gave me a lot of joy, and the ability to realize that I do have control. It's when we start saying with our mouth that I don't have control, then you are agreeing with the enemy of distraction. Remember we said what comes out of your mouth has the power. To give life or death. Choose life. Choose to say, I have control. I have self-control. These hormones are listening to the Spirit of God inside of me. These hormones are following the promises of God for me. I will not abort God's promises for my life. For something that I think I need but I don't actually need, because a healthy, righteous person has more to give than what he needs. And the only place he or she can give that is in marriage, because if it's outside of marriage, it's taking. It's always taking. In marriage, it's giving. I'm talking about healthy marriage. In healthy marriage, it's giving. Outside of marriage, it's always taking. Always. Always, always, always. You can wait. You can wait. You can wait until the time you are ready, until the time you have made the promise. And not the engagement promise, the marriage promise at the pulpit, in front of your family and friends, as witnesses, that you chose to wait until a time that you have everything to give and nothing to lose. The false idea of marriage is, oh well, now you have everything to lose, now you've lost everything. No, marriage is now you have everything to give. It's the union of two inheritances that become an exponentially powerful union. We've got to speak about marriage, church. We've got to take a stand and say, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be. Don't abort your prom- the promises that God has for you. I want to say this, our world does not have an abortion problem. It has a sex outside of marriage problem. The church easily says we have an abortion problem, we must stop abortions. But they're not half as vocal about sex outside of marriage. And I get it because so many people have, I've made mistakes, I've fallen sexually. I must clarify, right? (laughs) I've had sex with my wife and my wife alone. But there have been things on the internet that have distracted, that have pulled my eyes in places they shouldn't go. And not enough pastors are saying, it got me too. Not enough are saying, I will not. I will put away my phone. I will not be distracted by sexual temptation because that is outside of marriage. What comes through my phone did not come from my marriage. So I will not choose it anymore. And I say choose it because every time you pick up your phone, you're choosing it. Every single time. Your phone has no power over you. If you put it down on the counter, it's gonna stay there. It's not gonna into your hand and force your eyes onto it and onto a certain web page. You Choose it every single time. And every time you choose that, you choose something that God doesn't want for you. And we need to walk into salvation boldly and say, I want to step out of that. I want to walk into a marriage that is pure, that is holy. I want to experience intimacy with the Holy Spirit and I also want to experience intimacy in my wife, in my relationship with my wife. You didn't think you were going to get bakslaw today. (laughs) I didn't wear my suit. But I'm not here to give bakslaw. I'm here to say, I, Daniel, am fighting against sexual vice so that I can experience the intimacy of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I can experience the intimacy of the Holy Spirit in my my marriage. Yes, exactly. So that we can experience intimacy in the church. Let me make another strong point there is no such thing as sexual orientation. Can I say that? Can I say that? I am not defined by who I choose to have sex with. That is not where my identity starts. Let me say this. Every single one of you in the room have as much opportunity to experience the best of me as my wife does. And that defines my identity. I've never been to a funeral where they said his sex was awesome. That made him a good man. No, no, really, really. Listen, you're all laughing. Everyone is laughing. Everyone is laughing but listen to how the world has positioned identity the whole world's identity is focused on identity via sexual orientation and not identity via what is said or believed or spoken listen that was you, we, I knew you were going to laugh, but I know, I know that we laugh, but on the other side, the world thinks that way. The whole world is so wrapped up in sexual orientation identity, based on where they do their stuff naked with whoever, instead of he's a man of with. If I go to a funeral and someone gets up and gives a great obituary, it's always he was trustworthy. He was honest. He was loving. He was generous. He was wise. He was smart. He knew how to work with his finances. It was never he chose to have sex with this way. Well done. That's his identity. So here we are. Tiptoeing around identity based on sex when it has nothing to do with identity. Every one of you has the same right to experience my generosity, my hugs, my wisdom, my faith, my laughter, my jokes, and that defines my identity. The best of me has nothing to do with sex. Nothing. The best of me has everything to do with what comes out of my mouth. Because of my faith. And because of my belief. And that shapes my identity. And when you understand that that shapes your identity, then you're all the more ready for sex. And you're all the more ready for sex when you say, I'm going to wait to be married. And then in marriage, I'm going to give from intimacy. You see, sex doesn't create intimacy as much as what intimacy creates sex. Verse 4 says that each one of you should know how to possess and manage his own body in consecration. Separated from things that are profane. So that he may honor. Bring honor with his body. I'm confident that I can give and bless and honor empowered by the Holy Spirit. Believers are confident that they can bless that they can give and they can empower by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 says, is everyone still okay? Um, What's the time? Is it late? Everyone's still here? Okay, let's get to the the good stuff. Can I encourage you? Ephesians 1, verse 14. We were in Ephesians earlier. It says, Jesus is given to us like an engagement ring. This is the Passion Translation. As the first installment of what's coming, he is our hope promise of a future inheritance, which seals us until we have all Of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom. I want to say tomorrow, I say today, I say tomorrow, say today, (laughs) my heart is for redemption and my heart is for complete freedom. And that it doesn't matter how many times you have messed up in the past. It doesn't matter how many times you have aborted God's promises for your life, His promises still remain secure. And Jesus Christ was given like an engagement ring to the bride as a promise. And God gave that promise, and He's not going to take it away. He's not going to give the ring back, He's not going to run away. He has promised through His Son Jesus Christ that we have an inheritance. That's why He died on the cross. So that He could take everything that you think is out of your control. That He could take control over it. And give you the spirit of, re- of revelation and give you the spirit of wisdom. The Bible says if we confess our sins to one another... We will be set free. We will be saved. There will be blessing. Now that doesn't mean we sit here in the room and we all confess all the bad things we've done. But what it does mean is, is if you've hurt someone, if you have stolen from someone, if you have taken from someone, then when you own up and you take ownership of that and you confess that there is, rest- there is restoration, there is redemption. See, God's forgiveness is always readily available, but we have to receive it. And we receive it by taking ownership of our mistakes, of the things we did, the things we chose to do, and even the things we didn't choose to do. We need to take ownership of it. Choose to take ownership. Verse 18 says, I pray, and this is the one I mentioned, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination." In the context of today's sermon, ladies, men, may your imagination be filled with pure images. May your imagination be transformed so that it carries the hope of God, the wisdom of God, that everything inside of you oozes God's nature, because that's where you've set your mind. The Bible says, take every thought captive. Every single, if some thought comes and it's not from your village, say, go away. You do not belong here. You don't come from a God place. Be gone. Focus on Jesus. The song we sang today so many times, I've just sang, the blood of what the, (laughs) Jesus' blood never fails me. Because sometimes I didn't know what to think. Sometimes I didn't know how to think. And I turn my eyes and I look at the blood of Jesus. And I think about it and I allow it to wash over me. The last verse in Psalm 17 says, As for me, I will continue beholding your face in righteousness. And I will be fully satisfied. When I awake, beholding your form and having sweet communion with you. This is David. This is the giant slayer, sling, you name it. He he killed armies. He led ten thousands of ten thousands and thousands of thousands. A mighty man of war who's in touch with his emotions, yo. He's in touch with romance. And he knows that his romance started in a bromance with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Brotherly love. And he said, I awake in the morning and I behold your form. His imagination. Even though he had... Sexual past errors, made bad decisions, chose what wasn't for him, stole someone else's wife, murdered the guy. God redeemed the situation. And through that same wife gave him Solomon. And through the line of Solomon gave us Jesus Christ. How many of you know Jesus Christ comes from the line of immorality, of adultery, of David's sin? And Jesus took all of that bad family history and he deleted it on the cross. And he said, now we are free. Now we have life. That is salvation. My goal this morning was to present an image of marriage and sex. Of life. Of hope, of promise. Understanding that your identity is not made up by that. But your identity is made up through what Jesus did on the cross. And that is real, real, real salvation. And that salvation has an effect. our lives in our marriages in our future marriages regardless of where we've been and where we come from when we choose that God gives us that is that good do you feel better now I thought about starting the sermon saying I'm going to talk about sex today but it didn't go well down in my head But intimacy is something God wants to have with us. Deep, deep intimacy. And God wants to heal every broken relationship and restore everything that's been stolen from you. Some of us feel like, well, we'll never ever be in a good marriage again. Some of us feel like we weren't made. You know, when I was a teenager, I thought I was going to have the worst, ugliest wife on the planet because I couldn't control my hormones I thought God was going to punish me and then God said stop walking around school thinking about every woman as something that's going to meet your needs learn how to be their friend Learn how to not expect anything from anything, anyone but from God. That happens supernaturally. I met my wife at school. God has blessed us. And that's how it's meant to be. Amen? Alrighty. I'm gonna pray, let's stand. Father, this morning I didn't have an intention to destroy anyone or make anyone feel bad, make anyone feel left out. And we know that that's not your heart too, God. We know that your heart is for us to grow in intimacy with you, to have the confidence to know that you have a good future for us. And I ask this morning that you will rise up in this church and in the church at large, in the church in general, a deep understanding of what it means to be part of the bride of Christ, committed to the promises that you have given us. That we will not throw away our promises for cheap experiences. But we will find everything we need in you. And we know, Father, that you forgive every past mistake every past sin you forgive every single wrong choice father I pray for our youth specifically father I pray that you would cover them and protect them from the pressures of the world from the pressures that are unfairly put upon them from the pressures of social media the kind of pressures we didn't have to face where people use sex and sex that's on websites and TVs and things to draw children out of their God-given promise for monetary gain, for abuse, for control. And Father, I declare that we will be free in Jesus' name to make the right decision every single time. To put down the distractions. To say that's none of my business. To say that's got nothing to do with my marriage. Or my future marriage. But it's got everything to do. Or or my life has got everything to do with your spirit. And I welcome the Holy Spirit. And I welcome the full saving power of Jesus Christ now in my heart. In my body. And in my mind. And I know that you came to set us free. Your word says you will loose the chains of bondage. You will strip away the things that hold us back. And as we press into your presence, as we say Jesus, we will run from the things that seek to distract us. And the things that seek to hold us back. And we make a definitive God-given glory decision to follow you in your word. Help us to fix what has been broken. Give us the courage to say, I messed up. Come create a safe place where every person can say, I want to be set free. Give us patience to help those who fall Help us see your grace, Jesus, and know that we never have to hide from you, that we never have to run from your gaze, that day by day as we look in the mirror, we look more and more like you, because of your grace upon our lives, and because of our choice to believe and to follow and to speak life, and we declare that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I also want to pray for forgiveness for preaching too long. (laughs) I'm sorry we went on a bit longer today, but I just felt it's so important that we minister on this today, that we speak into this today, that we see freedom in our marriages and in our lives. Bless you, bless you. Yes,
0: I I, I need to just give a witness this morning. Um, I'm in a marriage of 45 years. And I feel, I just want to give you hope, that when God created man and woman, he decided to give the man a help. Near his heart. And I think sex in marriage is, every time you have sex in marriage, it's rejoicing the unity God intended married life to be. So every time you have sex in unity, you're rejoicing the unity God had in mind, because He had in mind that every marriage would become a little community, a little congregation. This the innerste manier wij die liefde van zijn hart aan die wereld kan is getroude So married life and having children is rejoicing what God had in mind from the beginning. So, yeah. in the world we how God's love looks like. Yes. And that is the rejoicing of marriage and sex in marriage. May you have a joyful, wonderful, amazing marriage because you are rejoicing the unity God had in mind.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> Bless you. May you have an amazing week. I won't speak about sex next week. But I will always speak about the glory of God. And how He intended us to be. Be blessed.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.